Hi, I'm Laurel. And I'm Akina. And this is Jane Austen Culture Night. In this week's episode, you will find horrid novels, summer friendships, and Italian rogues. There will be spoilers and maybe some cursing. This week, we're reading chapters five and six in Northanger Abbey. Yay! Yay! <laughs> So, chapters five and six. This is like the easiest <laughs> summary. <laughs> summary. There's like four pages. Like each yeah. chapter is like three pages or two pages. It's, um, it's really and, short, and, and nothing happens. So, they, but, I, but yeah, I really it's better good. to just like yeah to just like talk about nothing rather than trying to add them onto other chapters and making a crazy long episode. Yeah, we've got, we'll still find stuff to talk about. And, you know, we've got, so basically, there, Catherine's going out to the theater. She's looking for um, Henry Tilney. She wants to see him again, but he doesn't seem to be there. And she he looks for him again at the pump room. He's not there. So she thinks, oh, he maybe he left Bath. Um, she's getting to know Isabella more hanging out with Isabella and they have some chats and they read novels together and that's basically it. <laughs> that's the whole thing. At the yeah. um at the very end um uh they're like walking around the pump room at the end of chapter six and Isabella's like there are these two men who have been staring <laughs> at us this whole time and oh we just need to get away from them because I hate being stared at and yeah. they're just in love with us and so and then she's like so we're gonna walk this way and um <laughs> and and like we're gonna leave the pump room and like and then she asks Catherine like make sure they're not following us. And Catherine yeah. looks back and is like, oh no, yeah, they turn the other way. Um, and then Isabel is like, okay, well, let's go to the hat shop now. And Catherine's like, um, are you sure? Because if we go to the hat shop, then we might run into them again because that is like exactly where those men just like started walking. And Isabel yeah. is like, well, that is like, that probably won't happen. So let's just walk to the hat shop. And, yeah. it's just and she's like, like, and I don't even care. Like, why should they stop us? Oh, from my God. <laughs> this is yeah, this is a great scene in terms of just illustrating Isabella and her character. We get a lot of like yeah. hints about who she is. Isabella is so much. So, <laughs> That's a yeah. very good description. She's a lot. In case everyone forgot, because I did. Um, so she's Mrs. Thorpe's daughter. So she's somehow that like her family and Catherine's family actually have like a few different connections. So, so Mrs. Thorpe and Mrs. Allen, who's Catherine's like guardian on this bath trip, they went to school together. And then it turns out Catherine's older brother is good friends with Isabella's older brother. And they like, Catherine's older brother has like spent the Christmas holidays with Isabella's family. The yeah, Thorps. they were in university together. Yeah, but, um, and so James and um, John, John, right? John Thorpe. I don't we haven't know. met him yet. But we I so it's been like probably at least a decade since I read this book 
before, so I kind yeah. of forget everything. Nice. And it's and it's really, really fun. Like I'm having such a fun time. I was like honestly a little bit sad to read Northanger Abbey because I was like, I haven't read it so long. The other books I know I love so much. And like this yeah. one I don't remember being my favorite. And it's been just so exciting to like not really know and just be like almost like a first time reader with this. And yeah. my question is, which you don't need to answer me. But. Okay. <laughs> so there's a couple points where Isabella talks about like the kind of man she likes and yes. like makes kind of not so subtle allusions to a man that she might have her heart set on. Mm-hmm. And Catherine is, you know, she's from the sticks. She doesn't have many friends her age. And it says in here, clearly Jane Austen is like, yeah, Catherine doesn't know like when to push and ask for more information and when to just let something go. Yeah. And so Isabel is like alluding to this person that she might have a crush on and Catherine and she's like, you can tell kind of hoping that Catherine will ask more. Yeah. But Catherine is like, oh, like she's not telling me about this person. So I'll just back off or, you right. know, I'm not sure well, why she's bringing it up. Isabella specifically says like, oh, but don't ask me about it. Don't, yeah. don't push. Oh like, God. don't ask me to tell you any details because I honestly can't. But it's obvious that she's doing it in like a facetious way, in like a teasing. Like, I actually do want you to ask me yeah. about it. Um, but Catherine does not pick up on social cues like this is one of her personality traits is that she just is like oh okay she takes it literally and doesn't get what's happening with the you yeah. know all these different like social aspects that she doesn't really understand and so she's like oh you don't want me to ask about it I won't like oh we yeah. should you don't want those guys to follow us like then let's not go to the hat shop because we're gonna run into them and that's bad right like yeah yeah. she is so (laughs) innocent and a little yeah not socially aware in a way that Isabella who's a couple years older is clearly and like probably I don't I don't know if they really talk about like the town Isabella is from yet but like she's clearly like more used to people than Catherine and is like um, yeah, been out and about in a way that Catherine hasn't because she's probably just been like educated at home and like, mm-hmm. yeah, just like, yeah. So, and of course, like her mom isn't going to talk to her about these things, like, right about being flirty. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So, Isabella has a leg up. Um, yeah, I really feel for um, Catherine because I feel like. To this day, I don't, I don't know, like the social awkwardness. Mm -hmm. I feel like, not to like already bring it to the church, but I feel like growing up, I felt like even though I went to school with outsiders, I felt like such a difference between them and me. Yeah. And like, I had to be so careful about what I said around them. And I didn't really... There was like a few of them that like there was a few classmates I had that I was good friends with, but I didn't talk to them about the church and like I didn't tell them anything really. But, you know, we talked about music and books and stuff like that. And then um, but most people I just felt like it just felt like being on an alien planet or something. And there's like no way to bridge this gap between our experiences or to like. 
right. yeah, really feel at home with them. And so I feel like almost to this day, like I, I have a hard time picking up on some social cues. Like, like I've gotten so much better, but it took me like years until someone pointed out to me, like, Hey, if, if someone is like bringing up like, Oh, I want to go to this place. They're like also kind of inviting you. Mm. And it's this thing that like, I just didn't really pick up on. Sometimes people, someone would say like, Oh, what are you up to? And I'd be like, Oh, I'm nothing. They're like, okay, well I'm going to the library. And I feel like that is like kind of a hint. Like, Oh, do you want to come with me? Mm -hmm. And I just be like, Oh, cool. Have fun. And um, not realize, like, there was, like, kind of an open invitation to go. Mm. You know, I just always assume I'm not wanted somewhere, which is, like, mm. so sad to say out loud. <laughs> but even just recently, I, I, like, just this morning, I had a conversation with my neighbor, and she was asking me about, like, our plans for the next few days. And I realized, like, that was, like, her way of saying, like, just the way she was saying it was like, oh, like, you know, if you have any free time, like, let's, you know, barbecue together or something. But uh-huh. like, I had to, like, consciously kind of, like, realize that's what she was doing. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I am definitely a Catherine in this situation. <laughs> yeah. I um, similarly um, relate to that experience of kind of feeling like an outsider and um, feeling like also the experience of or a little bit in a, a different way. Like I feel like I learned really young to be hyper aware mm. of social situations and to like look for the, like those really specific cues. And yes. so I will like hang back and wait and like be trying to figure it out like really strategically and like how am I going to behave and how am I going to present myself and what do I say and um yeah because it's it's always uh feels like a minefield like you don't know like is this place safe can I talk to these people can I trust them can I how much of myself can I like actually be myself or not or (laughs) yes um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then throwing on top of it, like, uh, what are the rules at school versus yes. the rules at church or the rules at home? And they're different. And how do you fit in here versus there? And all of those there. And there's so many unwritten rules that yes. they just tell you and you have to just kind of like figure it out. And then so to be to be in that position where you're like, oh, my God, I need to figure this out. You're like desperate to figure it out. To have somebody like Isabella, who is like taking you by the hand and is like, yeah. I'm going to tell you all the rules. Here's what's happening. Here's what we need to do. And it's just like lead and and you can just like follow and soak in all the information. Even right. if you don't totally understand it, you're just like, yes, tell me. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, yeah. I will do whatever you say. <laughs> you know what totally. I mean? And it kind of shields you from that. And it's, it's, um, I can, yeah, that, that dynamic of as Isabella and Catherine is very familiar to me. Like, I feel like I'm always, um, I made a lot of friends when I was a kid who were just like super outgoing, you know, mm. and, you know, it would, they would be like, come on, let's do this. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll do whatever you want, you know? Um, but it was so hard for me to like initiate those things. But like, if anybody else showed like any kind of interest, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
you know? That's so funny. I feel like, yeah, I feel like our situation is like, it comes from the same impulse and then sometimes it's totally different. Like, I feel like I made friends with the really shy, quiet kids who are even quieter than me because I was like, oh, you don't seem scary. <laughs> like right. I can be friends with you. We can sit in the corner and not really talk, but then maybe switch swap books out like every mm. day or two. Yeah. Um, and then, but it, and I'm also like, but I also feel like, yeah, like you said, like I can observe a situation and, but I just don't know how to participate in it. And so it's yeah. like, yeah, like I will be hyper aware of a situation and be like, okay, I don't have a, like that guy seems like I like see red flags from like miles away. I'll be like, that guy is kind of creepy. And like yeah. in, in a crowd, I could pick out like the creepiest ones, like very fast. And people uh-huh. would be like, who, what? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so yeah, it's, it's definitely different. And it's, um, but I do empathize with Catherine and she's just seeing like Isabella feels so like, I feel like this is sexist, but like so silly. Like she's yeah. just like, Isabella's like, these guys are obsessed with us. And like, it's just like making all these dramas. And it's like, I don't know. I'm, I don't know, dude. I feel yeah. like those guys are probably minding their own business, but maybe not. Yeah. Isabella's very dramatic. Um, and she's very, yeah, very silly. She's she reminds me of like yeah, she's like super boy crazy, yeah. which is kind of fun. <laughs> Even she feels like a great like summer friend. Yeah, like, I remember going to my grandma's house, and then like there was another girl down the street who I don't think she lived there. She might have been visiting her grandma, and then we got to have a sleepover, and I got mm-hmm. to watch Hairspray for the first time. <gasps> Yeah, it was like very exciting. I feel like this is the same vibe where it's like, oh, like a little bit extra. Like she might be like kind of exhausting to live like to be next door neighbors and hang out 24 seven. Yeah. But like a good like summer friendship thing is like what you want from Isabella, where it's just everything's going to be heightened. Yes, yes, the height. And yeah, you're not going to be bored with Isabella as a friend. There's always going to be drama or gossip or something or novels. She's got all these book recommendations, which we love as well. I'm like, that is my love language. I mean, come on. And I love that they're reading horror novels. Like, this is their thing. This is one of the things that I was interested in talking about in this chapter because I feel like... um, you know, this perception of like teenage girls or like um, uh, in this like early adolescent phase or even in the early 20s, like the perception is like, oh, they're reading like chiclet or they're into yeah. like, like, you know, sparkly pink, like Barbie vibes. But like so many girls I knew growing up, myself included, have all gone through like the horror phase, the like goth phase. Like I want <laughs> to watch, yes. watch or read these like suspense, gore, true crime, like all of this kind of stuff that you're just like, oh, and the way that they talk about it, isn't it horrid? Are you sure it's so yes. horrid? <laughs> yes, that's what they say. It's so amazing. Are you? Did you read Goosebumps and everything when you were little? Oh, or? yeah. Yeah, I read Goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I watched the show Goosebumps, which I loved. Ooh. I watched Are You Afraid of the Dark? 
Um, which listen, there are still some of those episodes that freak me out, specifically the ones oh with God. the puppets that come to life. Oh so God. scary. <laughs> I didn't I feel like my parents were very anti-horror. Like my yeah. mom is like deaf like I feel like a lot of church parents were. Um uh-huh. uh and I feel like my mom especially was like very anti-horror. And so I couldn't read any goosebumps. Um, and it was like, oh, yeah, because spirit world is real and all these bad spirits that could be real. And it was like, yeah. it made everyday life very terrifying. Of course. Of course. Yeah. No, my mom doesn't like horror. She's always very squeamish about anything that's like super scary or um violent in any way she's like oh i wouldn't like that you know um but i always loved like supernatural type stuff and yes some of it would scare me because i'd think like oh is this too real like when i watched the conjuring i was like no this is too much how old were you when you watched that oh I was already in my 20s. <laughs> okay, okay. Was, no, um, I did watch um, It, um, the the original version, Stephen King. What is it? Is that, is that Chucky or is, am I getting them confused? No, it's um, Pennywise, the clown. Oh, the clown one. Okay. Yes. I watched that when I was 13 years old <gasps> and it was very scary. I had nightmares. It was, yes, I should not have been watching it that young, but I had a friend who, um, you know, wanted to watch it. And it was like one of those things like, Oh my God, we're going to, we're not supposed to watch it. And we're going to watch it. Like it was, you know, and then it was like, why did we do this? To yeah, ourselves? We were like, Oh no. Um, but yeah, it was like one of those things that I, I would like, um, I would get scared of it too, but it was like, I liked to walk up to that line and be like, how yeah. close can I get? And then be like, Oh no, it was too much. <laughs> and then he's, um, but you know, that's kind of what horror and those genres is, is like, a little bit of a thrill from the scare or the totally um, yeah I feel like it's only been very recent that I've been into horror like in my 30s maybe and it's yeah like once I started I I feel like I started watching some of like the classics and especially the ones from like the 70s and 80s you're like I just love when you can see like the seams in a movie or like in an artwork where you're like, this is falling apart or like, (laughs) you know, like the movie is like, you know, especially like decades later, you're like, that's not actually that scary. And like, um, there's a lot of it that I find really, yeah, pretty funny. Um, and then for me, there's, (laughs) There, I, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but like there's like a kind of horror that feels like very familiar to like our childhoods where it feels like, you know, especially nowadays with all this cult, cult media out there, it still feels like no one really like has portrayed cult life very well. And but I have felt like I've seen it in cult in like horror movies like especially with something like Carrie like yeah with like the mom and like um and stuff like that I'm always like watching it I'm like that's my mom (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah so there's I I have enjoyed it later on but yeah we were definitely not allowed to watch anything I was terrified like I feel like sometimes I would read a book and then it Mm -hmm. would turn out to be like 
kind of horror. Like I remember, do you remember the story about the woman who has like a green ribbon uh, around her neck? Ribbon? Yes. 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 I remember reading that and that was in scary stories. Again, okay. another middle school nineties classic scary stories to read in the dark. Those were oh. scary. Those You're were terrifying. scary. Like to this and day, I like I'm terrified are terrifying yes. so yeah yeah scary stories those are huge yeah i went through a lot of phase of that kind of stuff in like middle school mm. and then i think when i got to, when i as i was getting older i think i stayed away from it more because i was getting more indoctrinated into mm. like oh spirit world and this is gonna affect you and this stuff can be yeah real. you That's could e- you could attract evil spirits yes. by watching this and so i was more careful i guess or more like squeamish about it and then um uh yeah and then now coming now after like processing and going through therapy and deconstructing yeah now i found a place where i'm watching um like horror and this type of stuff as like and realizing that oh it's all about processing trauma like horror is, is, is reflecting people's trauma in like this visceral way and it's yeah it's all about that <laughs> and i'm like oh this is great uh, yeah i know i'm like oh this is like strangely comforting i like yes, this yes for me i feel like this is tied to something that i've done like with my own art practice like for i think it's like still kind of still kind of work with this but for many years i've kind of been like mining these stories like my favorite one is like David and Goliath in the Bible and like just like taking another look at this story and being like, actually, I think I'm on Goliath's side. <laughs> and just like for many reasons, but like just like it's like part of like looking at our history and being like, oh, all these people I was told to be terrified of, like outsiders. Yeah. We're actually like people who cared about me and the people I was told were like safe and good were actually people who were harming me. And so it's like this flip that I feel like does lend itself very well to horror. Yeah. And just like that experience where you're like, actually, I think I'm on the witch's side. Yeah. (laughs) My brother told me this story, which I don't remember. Maybe I wasn't there, but like, you know how a lot of libraries have like that table by the front door with like books that are like a quarter or a dollar or something. So he said that like once he was at our library, the library we went to growing up with my mom and uh, they were like selling a book on witches and she like bought it for a quarter just to just so she could burn it. So no one else would like be like, so no one else would be affected by the evil spirits from that book, which I'm just like burning a book about witches is very like on the nose. (laughs) Very on the nose. Um, I also definitely went through like, uh, when I was 14, I went through like a, witch like wicca phase where me and my friends me and my friends were like casting circle this is about the time when you know the craft 
came out yeah. like iconic movies so we were like crafting circles together in school and like doing spells and like making books of shadows and the, wow. my early my early um memories of like using the internet are all newsies <sighs> fan fiction and um wicca like witch spells <laughs> online <laughs> i wish we could see like those websites again i yeah it's just there's there's that that little nostalgia button that just of the like <laughs> oh, there was probably like those tickers at the bottom yeah. of the website that would say like this web page has been visited 248 times and, yeah uh, and then and sometimes you know they would have like a little graphic that would like follow your cursor around yeah. <laughs> like a little oh. banner or something yeah. Oh, yeah. we're so I old. Miss, <laughs> we're so old. I love that. Yeah, my parent. I used to love going to like the new age store, and I would yeah. be like, I'd be like, I want my essential oils, and I want my pretty rocks. But yes. I feel like it. It didn't go to like, like these are spiritually meaningful to me. I just loved like making my little like lotion you know like figuring mm-hmm. out how to make lotions myself because also it was like the 90s I feel like some people don't remember this or but it was like remember the was it Colgan or there was like I just feel like artificial fragrances came out in a big way at least on the Jersey Shore in my high school in my gym mm. lockers where, like, after gym class, you would have, like, all these girls spraying themselves down with body spray. And it was, like, the Cucumber new melon, thing. baby. Cucumber melon. Yes. <laughs> Cucumber melon. The 70s and like, 90s. <laughs> they'd be, like, every color and bottle. And Yeah, freesia. <laughs> and it's, like, have you ever actually smelled freesia in real life? I haven't. Like, what is that? It's the um, cheapest flower you can get. It's, it's the purple version. The purple, it's like, yeah. That's the purple. There was, like, usually, like, some kind of kiwi melon or mm-hmm. something. And then there would be, like, an apple spice or, like, yeah, watermelon. And it would be, like, all these, like, huge, like, bottles of body spray with, like, gold and colorful labels. And, like, our, it just smelled crazy and I feel like I was like very (laughs) sensitive to that as a young age so I would like go get my unscented like lotion and like drop in like a a a scooch of like actual lavender essential oil like make my own lotion where I was like okay this isn't gonna kill me um (laughs) but yeah so I I mean I've always loved just like collecting rocks but it's never been like oh this crystal means something to me it's just like I I got this one at the beach and I really like it I was into candles and I oh candles I had many candles yes and I knew like which colors you're supposed to burn for which thing and all of that and I had a deck of tarot cards that I bought and they were really pretty I know they were really pretty and they had cats on them. Ooh. And then, and then I, again, like after like freshman year of high school, 
that's when I started getting more like, oh, indoctrinated and like, oh, yeah. I need to try and be good or whatever. And I like threw all that stuff out. And I still to this day regret throwing out that deck of tarot cards yeah. because I haven't been able to find the same one since I bought it at like a little mall kiosk thing. <laughs> well, let's find it. Let's, let's find, find it. it. Everybody out there has connections. Yeah. <laughs> So it had kittens on the front of it? It had, it was like a cat themed deck. It had um, people, but also cats. And they were on every single card. Um, yeah. Like if I saw one of the pictures, I could probably recognize it, but I couldn't for the life of you tell yeah. exactly what it was called. Yeah. Or, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. That is funny. Yeah. Um, I used to get for my brother every year before, you know, before there were smartphones, I used to get him a calendar that would be a cat calendar, but it would be like paintings, famous paintings, Mm -hmm. um, like the Mona Lisa, but the Mona Lisa would be a cat. It would be like a cat case. It would be like everything. (laughs) It would be like Michelangelo, but like, uh, you know, David is a cat. And like, just like, yeah. Um, Cute. I'm into good cat themes. I feel like maybe I was just so used to like I was just like memorizing horse facts all the time, and so I had no time for like memorizing astrology or whatever you were doing. <laughs> like, did your parents know you were doing all of that stuff? Um, not really. Okay. I tried to like keep it secret. I, okay. I they probably knew. You know, I realizing more now that I have my own kids that my parents probably knew more than I thought. Yeah. But I thought, yeah, I definitely didn't talk about it with them. And I like kept it secret. Okay. And my uh, friend and I who were like into it together um, had like code names for each other. Oh, my God. And we would like write in our journals back and forth and use our code names and like talk about like spells and stuff or different things. And yeah, <laughs> it was I don't know. I feel like a lot of church parents were like a little bit checked out and didn't know there was like an extra layer of like they were focused on something else and not super like the emotional like well-being of their children um so maybe they didn't know i don't know yeah i mean they probably didn't know to the extent yeah um do you remember oh yeah i mean i just remember um one time i had like a book like my one book of shadows that I made, it had like drawings of like goddesses in it and stuff. And then um, like different like spells or like things that I thought were cool. And um, um, it had like the upside down, like pentagram (gasps) on it. I know. (laughs) I know. And then one time, I I think too, that I thought like my parents didn't even know what it was. I'm like, they don't even they, like yeah. they're not even gonna know what it because and then my mom like um looked at it one time in my room like she saw it in my room one time she's like what is that and I was like oh nothing it's just like uh, it's just a random I just like ignored it but then after yeah. that I was like oh I need to be sneakier <laughs> or something. yeah, yeah <laughs> don't leave a pentagram around baby Laurel but th- yeah but then I don't know it, I can't remember a specific instance or anything but I do just like remember always keeping it on the down low and then at a certain point being like, Oh, 
this stuff is bad and like feeling guilty about having it and and feeling yeah. like oh I should um yeah or like it's gonna attract evil spirits or like yeah. hearing aunties say stuff like that and like I also had like Christian friends mm, at school yeah. who had the same sort of like anything like that was like occulty stuff. Yeah. And then it would, you know, they would say the same type of thing. So um I at a certain point too, I was moving in to try and fit in with like the Christian crowd and checking that stuff out and trying to yeah you know i yeah i tried everything i was yeah. <laughs> again i was like you <laughs> you yeah. uh, are excited to be my friend i will mold myself yeah. in your image <laughs> like <laughs> do tell me what to do <laughs> um yeah i didn't read that much horror but i definitely read um I was really into detective stuff. Mm. I feel like with supernatural stuff, I was like, unless you can tell me that, like, if I draw this diagram and I will get an A on tomorrow's test, like, unless that's proven, like, I'm not interested. Like, mm. I'm not interested. Like, I was like, I don't know, like, a little bit just like my brother was really into it. And I was like, uh, I don't, I like things that I can, like, feel and see and feel like maybe they're helping me with information that I might need in the future or something. Yeah. So like all my novels were like pretty, I was pretty into reality that said I was like a huge Nancy Drew fan. And now of course, like looking back, I'm like, Oh yeah, those novels are not realistic at all. But, <laughs> but I mean, I, I really feel like there is this, um, place in, the, in which it really helped me where it was like, this teenage girl who like gave herself or who like had a sense of agency and was mm -hmm. able to keep herself safe and to yeah. like um, advocate for herself and like for other people who needed it. And I feel like that was um, a really, I feel like helpful thing to have in my life. I mean, yeah. I've, I know Nancy Drew, has been around for decades now. And there were stories, even when I was a kid of like other kids, like I remember reading a story of like this girl who was kidnapped by strangers in like the eighties or whatever. And she like was thrown in the trunk of a car, but then she remembered a Nancy Drew's story where she like, where you like kicked out the, the light the light. And she was, like, able to save herself. And it was, like... I yeah. heard that story of kicking out the lights. I didn't know that was from Nancy Drew. But that's, no, like... Well, no. Yeah, it was just, like, this newspaper article that I remember yeah. being around when it was, like... Yeah, she, like, her... She had read it in a Nancy Drew story. And she was, yeah. like, yeah, that's... And there's... I don't know. There's, like, a lot of people, like... RBG was a huge Nancy Drew fan. I feel like she was, like, a really important person... Especially when, like, we didn't, like, there weren't that many role models um, back then of just, like, here's someone who, like, does a lot with her friends and she's, like, able to, like, actually be a person in her life and not just be, like, controlled by the people around her, which was yeah. my situation. And I feel like... um yeah, I really, really wanted to be her, even though, like, I didn't realize how unrealistic that was. Because she's, like, the kind of person who, like, you know, like, travels to a new 
she's like James Bond where it's like oh of course they know like 18 different languages and right. they know <laughs> they know horseback riding but they can also scuba dive and I right. was like always just like mad at myself for not knowing any of those mm. things um but yeah that was yeah, my version again I think it's like what you're saying it's like it comes from the same place yeah it just goes in different directions because I yeah. remember seeing a discussion about how you know um it was like, oh, all the girls who were into like witchcraft when they were teenagers and like this because and they were talking about because it's one of the only places that's like ruled by like a feminine power that like yeah. it's like female power, female goddesses, a place where women can express themselves um and have feel like they have agency and power yes. and like casting a spell feeling like you have control over your circumstances or um your intentions and all of that stuff or even even yeah even just any kind of supernatural um uh power to like advocate for yourself or or be in control of things or to um change things for the better and yeah. 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 And also just to like feel listened to and seen. Yes. Like you go to the doctor for cramps or whatever, and they're going to like, especially until very recently and still to this day, of course, they're just like, whatever. And they just like kind of make you feel dismissed and like you're yeah. not important. And like you go to like one of these shops, and then they're like, it's probably some nice lady being like, oh my gosh that's so horrible like let's set you up with some lotions and you like feel like so much like cared for and like you're valued in a way right. that you aren't yeah and, uh, and feeling like you have the ability to take care of yourself yeah. too and not have yeah. to rely on a system or other people who are gonna let you down or who are not yeah gonna yeah oh dude i still drink my red raspberry tea when i have my period i'm like yes nice. <laughs> I'm like i don't know like, i i like that i like that like the items that are like the caring items like mm -hmm. drink drink your tension tamer tea when you're sad and like i don't know yeah. i mean i still i still do my pharmaceuticals but i just uh i feel like there's room for both yeah totally um, um, do you want, I know we've gotten super away, um, in the spirit of horrid books, do you want a little bit of a synopsis of the mysteries of Udolpho? Because I read that book. <laughs> oh my God. What? Yeah. What is that about? Okay. So the mysteries of Udolpho, which, uh, is referenced in this book quite heavily. Um, yeah. It, it's the novel that Catherine and Isabella are reading together. It's one of it's basically the first book that Isabella gave to Catherine is like, you have to read this book. I can't believe you haven't read this yet. And she spent all morning reading it and has already gotten up to the part with with the black veil, which is impressive. Catherine is either a very fast reader or she did nothing but read like all day. Uh, all night because the black veil doesn't come in until uh, at least halfway through the book. 
um, or, or maybe a third of the way through. It's it's um, it's a long book. And, and it yeah, takes, it's like way over a thousand pages, right? It's so long. I don't know how many pages exactly because I did the audiobook, But in yeah. audiobook terms, it was over 30 hours of narration. Yeah, no, I got so, it. That is uh, definitely a thousand page book. I have not read it, but I got it out of the library. And I remember being like, oh, this is like, I think it was, I I think I said this before, but like uh, when, when they were announcing the COVID shutdown in May, uh, March, 2020, they were like, oh yeah, the library is going to be like closing at four. And then after that, we don't know when we'll reopen. So I like right. ran to the library and got whatever was on the shelves. And I think I got the mysteries of Udolfo and I was like, this is huge. Yeah. <laughs> and of course I didn't read it at all. I feel like the beginning of uh, the beginning, the beginning bit is of the, slow. It takes a while. Also, to- yeah. I feel like I thought I would read a lot in the beginning of the pandemic, but like those first couple months were no. just too, like, we were all like, what's happening? I know. <laughs> there was no- I reread Pride and Prejudice during the first half. Yeah. Of that was all I did. I was like, I need a comfort read. I can't handle anything. Yeah, I couldn't handle anything new, especially some like book that's 200 years old. That's like, yeah, what? Like, yeah, like, I don't know, like 1500 pages, something crazy. So, So so there's a black veil. Okay, so before you even get to the black veil, um basic synopsis, the main character's name is Emily Santobert. Everybody's French. They live in France. Yes, so Francie. Um, Francie. Francie. <laughs> Francie. Um, so uh, in the beginning, uh, we meet Emily and her mom and dad. Her mother dies pretty early in the book when she's still young. And then after her mother dies, her and her father like go on this trip through the countryside together. And... Um, on this trip, they end up at this like uh, old um, mansion that somehow her father has a connection to, but um, he doesn't want to stay there. It's like kind of weird. And um, anyway, they meet this guy Valancourt, who knows this village and is and and then um, he gets injured, but then they help him, and it's this whole convoluted thing um but he ends up staying with them on the journey um and i think he like gets injured because he's like there's like bandits or something and he like kind of saves them yeah there's always always something happening always some danger um in the air and you know they're on the road and they're constantly looking for like food and shelter as they're traveling and um so while they're on the road, um, Valancourt ends up going with them at traveling with them. And he's like helping to take care of them. And the father is getting like sicker and sicker. He's kind of like old. And then he eventually dies like while they're on this trip. And then um, Valancourt continues on the trip with Emily, helps her get back home and during this time, they like kind of fall in love. They like form this relationship. And before her father passes too, he like sees that they kind of like like each other and is like, um, I love this for you. Like, I think this is a, a good guy. And 
yada, yada. So Emily, after her father dies, Emily goes back home. And um, because now both of her parents are dead, she is her aunt basically takes uh, is her new guardian. But her aunt is very mean and uh, does not and thinks that Emily is like spoiled and is like treats her really badly. And she doesn't like Valancourt. And she's like, no, you can't marry him, basically, because he's a nobody. And we don't you know, she's like this high society woman. And she wants her niece to like marry um, upper class um, you know, Francie people. Francie. She wants to marry Francie people. Okay. So, um, meanwhile, her, her aunt is also a widow. So her aunt is also trying to marry somebody to like get the fortune, but her aunt like moves into the, the state that she has. Um, and, um, Emily is miserable, because um, yeah. yeah she's grieving both of her parents at this point and um Valancourt and um her aunt is like forcing her to like go to balls and ha- be at these parties and stuff and she hates it and um at one of these parties there's this guy Montoni who is very creepy to Emily. She gets like a bad vibe. He's kind of smarmy. Um, but the aunt is like uh, kind of interested in him. They end up getting married kind of like mm-hmm. secretly in a rush. The aunt. and Montoya. Okay, the aunt. Yes. And um, when they get married, she's like, okay, we're moving to Italy because that's for where Montoni is from. All the Italy in this novel is full of bandits and horrors. That is where all the horrors start. There's this very mm. like, you know, <laughs> Italy is the uh, the land of, um, yeah. It's really interesting to look at the perception of, uh, you know, the different cultures and and stuff yeah. that's going on during these time periods. Also, this novel is set. Um, it should be noted in like the 1500s. Okay. So it's not like a current day read for these Regency yeah. girls. You know, it's like a medieval kind it's of. It's like us reading. Renaissance. Yeah. Yeah. And so during this time, you know, Italy is made up of these little nation states, little mm. kingdoms. It is yeah. not... Um, Italy itself doesn't become a country until like the 1940s or something. Like it's yeah. not a unified place. It's like all these different um, city states and um, areas. And so there's like different militias and, and there's all these little skirmishes and wars going on all the time between different places and right. you've got mercenaries. You've got um, all kinds of stuff going on. So um they go to Italy. They stay in Venice for a little bit. And they, they stay at a bunch of different houses. Basically, eventually, they end up in um, Udolfo, which is this old, big old castle, this old Gothic castle that's kind of run down, um, but has parts of it that have been like uh, uh, kept up and usable. And it's very like cold and has all of these... Um, uh, secret like secret passageways and secret rooms and uh there are rumors about like 
parts being haunted because people see things and hear things. There's like mysterious music. This happens throughout the novel, actually, in a lot of places. There's like mysterious music that you hear or sounds or like tales of supernatural stuff going on in houses and all and, and different places and that everything eventually gets explained um, mm. but at the time you are not sure if these are like if if things are actually are you're like is this a real supernatural thing that's happening right. or is it like people are just perceiving this as supernatural and there's an explanation for it and like um so it's kind of it, it's but it's all very mysterious and um the castle is very uh, mysterious too and basically once montoni gets them to the castle he flips a script and becomes like this evil awful dude um mm. he uh basically f- we basically find out that he has only married the aunt for her money to get a hold of her money and her land he the aunt thought that he was rich but really He's not the person that she thinks he is. He's not as rich. Um, he has a lot of debts. He's um, he's in with these like mercenary guys that he like um, lets stay at his house. And they're like involved in like little wars and skirmishes and stuff. And there's all this political things going on with him. Um um, so there's like soldiers coming in and out of the castle, staying there. And sometimes they're guarding the castle from like people who are going to attack it to get to Montoni. And you're like, what is happening? There's always some. And the soldiers, everything's dangerous. Like at, anywhere Emily goes, it's very clear that she is a young woman in peril of being harmed emotionally physically sexually all like threats and just the insinuation of like um you know if you're not well behaved or you don't do what i say like i won't stop the soldiers from like going into your room and like you know having their way with you um so this is like a perilous thing also even before you know um so montoni's trying to get the the aunt to hand over all of her property to him basically sign it over yeah he says no i'm not gonna do that and um so then he like locks her in her room and is like basically punishing her worse and worse until she relents meanwhile he keeps he keeps trying to get Emily. He keeps trying to marry Emily off to these other dudes um, for money. And st- he's basically like selling her of like, who, Hey, the yeah. highest bidder, like who's going to offer me money for this girl. Then you yeah. can marry her or whatever. And he's um, so he's controlling the shots. Um, Emily and her aunt are basically prisoners in this castle and Emily and her aunt are like having to like scheme and do anything possible to like get out of these situations and um, to not have to marry and marry these men or like give up their own property. Um, So all of this horror, like real life horror stuff is going on. And in the meantime, there's all of this like supernatural 
um, things about the castle being haunted and secret passageways and rumors about what happened to previous owners. So there's a rumor. The previous owner, Laurentina, um, we have also Montoni, I think, was also a widow. And so there's insinuations that he may have killed his first wife. Yeah. Uh, Laurentini or Laurentina, the the woman that they're talking about here, who they think um, the black veil is like her skeleton, basically. Um, she was the previous owner of the castle, of this house, and um, Montoni somehow got it from her. So that so the insinuation is that he somehow murders her, and that's how. Um, that's how she, um, Montoni gets possession of Gilbert. Mm. And so um, one day, so this part in the story with the black veil is basically um, Emily's like exploring the castle and she finds this room that has all of these big paintings in it. And one of the paintings has like a black um it's described as a black veil. So I'm thinking it's like this sort of sheet, um, like this, a little mm-hmm. bit sheer, you know, you can kind of see the light through it, but it doesn't yeah. completely, you have to go up to it. Um, so it looks like a painting on the wall. It's like a big frame and it's got this, this veil over it. And she opens it up and is immediately like so terrified, more terrified than she's ever been in her entire life. And she like runs out um, oh, and this room was supposed to be locked like mm. before. And then at this time she found it, it wasn't locked. And then she left and this room is usually locked. And then um, uh, we do not find out what is behind the black veil. We only know that it is like horrifying and it continues to haunt her throughout the entire book. Like she, she's like, Oh, this thing that I saw, was it real? I don't, you know, and, it, it's like this haunting image that she can't get out of her head. Um, and we don't find out what it actually is until the end of the book, which is like uh-huh. amazing suspense. Cause you're like, yeah. what is it? What is it? What did she see? <laughs> like, it really is one of those things like what's behind the black veil. Come on. But it is heavily implied that like, it is some sort of like skeleton or human remains uh-huh. or like, so, you know, something like that. That's the, um, that's what's heavily implied in it. Um, mm-hmm. But we don't actually find out until the end of the book. And then, um, I mean, do you want me to go on? I can no, tell you. I, I want to, now I kind of want to read this. Black Veil. I mean, it's exciting. Yeah. Like, it, listen, it's, there's a lot of buildup. There's a lot of detail that is like, maybe not necessary <laughs> um, for all of this plot point. Um but, you know, there are definitely I was definitely gasping at a lot of points. Um, and then there are things that like you kind of forget about. You're like, oh, that happened all the way back at the beginning. You're like, wait, what? And then it comes back around and like gets explained. Um, so it is one of those things that you're like, this is so long. Is this like all of this necessary? And you're like, yes, it is actually, <laughs> which is the annoying I part. love books like that. I actually, um, I love long books. Normally I hate short books. Um, or yeah. it's not that I hate them. It's just like, even a week ago I was traveling and I like got a book for the plane ride. And then there was like problems with, 
our plane. And so we didn't take off right away and we were delayed almost an hour. And I was start to finish done with the book. It was really a novella like before the plane took off. And I was like, cool. Now what do I have to do? I was trying to be so responsible because normally I'm the person who brings like five books on an airplane. Yeah. And I was like, don't do that, Akina. Just bring this one. It's a good size. You might finish it by the end. And it was like, yeah. And then I was stuck without anything good to read for the whole plane ride. And I, um, yeah, I just love a long book that you can sink your teeth in and that like, especially that like makes you um, have to remember things. But while you're telling me about like crazy Italy, all I could think of was the White Lotus. And I was like, now I just like, whenever you were talking about the plot of Adolfo, I'm like, I just hear the like White Lotus soundtrack yes. in my head. And I'm just like, oh, rich people being yeah. trouble. And uh, yeah. <laughs> And then, and there's murder. And I mean, yes, there is like, honestly, this book has everything. It's got <laughs> romance. It's got um, like mustache twirling villains, like evil, like Montoni is just like evil, evil personified, horrible person. It's got bandits. It's got pirates. It's got, um, uh, you know, magical, like supernatural type stuff. It's got murder. Yeah. It's got horror. It's it's it, like all the things. Um, it's got Emily's poetry, oh, which no. I. It's not bad, but like it's not necessarily for the plot. Like that is the one thing I will tell you. Absolutely, you could skip over all of the poetry that Emily reads or recites or writes because it's that is a big like, deal coming from you. You are a poet, <laughs> but you're. I'm just like, girl, please. You're like she's like, like. Yeah. It, I guess it adds to the atmosphere, and it also adds to that. Um, it's it's sort of a trope in the sort of gothic novel of yeah. his time of you know these heroines who love poetry who like read poetry or write poetry or something i know and 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 jane austen like kind of breaks the fourth wall in this book yes or in this chapter because she mentions like them reading books and then she's like i know in these books you know normally any mention of an in a novel any mention of a woman reading a novel they usually say oh I don't read those or, you know, like, and, and cause they're too good to read novels, but you know what? These girls read novels and novels are great. And I don't know why novelists like to put down novels when, uh, when that's what we do. And like, yeah, yeah she like has this little defense of a novel for like two pages. Yeah. It, it's, it's a little bit jarring because you're like, whoa, hello, yeah. Jane Austen. Like you're just, yeah, really breaking the fourth wall. And like this little essay, uh, you know, this letter to the editor opinion column yes. in the middle. That's what it feels like <laughs> in the middle of yeah. this chapter. <laughs> yeah, definitely like an editorial. This week's podcast is brought to you by Isabella's Book Club, the best book subscription box in England. Every month, get a new horrid read picked especially by Isabella. Use code DOLFO23 to get your first month free, featuring the bone-chilling necromancer of the Black Forest. Sign up today. 
you have any favorite lines from uh, uh, the these chapters? So, yeah, the one thing that I did highlight, um, just because I thought it was funny, was um, when Catherine's talking about the men, uh, you know, that walk, avoiding them or walk the two men that they were going to try and avoid. And then um, uh, she says, um, I shall not pay them any such compliment. I assure you, I have no notion of treating men with such respect. That is the way to spoil them. <laughs> like, so funny and silly. <laughs> um, did you, uh, oh yeah. Also like Isabella goes on this aside and she's like, I stand up for all my friends. My friends are great. And she's oh. like, oh, what's her friend's name? Allison or something. She's like, oh, I heard about this great book from my friend Allison. And um, none of the men think that she's pretty, but I make them say that she is because she's wonderful. Although she is kind of ugly. This is <laughs> she's such like, a like mean girl thing. Yes. Where and she's like, like yeah, and then she's, she's like, like, but none of the men would ever say that about you because you're beautiful. I, I know. Like, it's this, this 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 like little gossipy thing where it's like she's trying to connect with Catherine yeah. and get Catherine in on it. And um but uh yeah, it's the one of those things that you realize like, oh, it's this type of girl. This is yeah, yeah. You're like, you that's what that- I'm like summer the, friendship yeah <laughs> and you know that she would go back to like oh saying, yeah to say you know like who what's she gonna say about Catherine to somebody else later like that's just the type yeah. of person she is who's just talking about people behind their yeah. backs um yeah. and it's very dramatic yeah. and, and would like you know even the fact that she's telling Catherine about her other friends like who like yeah. why does Catherine care about like it's just like again it's 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 uh the show of isabella she's leading the charge she's also very it's interesting you know now that i was just talking about um udolfo like yeah uh, there's a lot now that i've read that book and then coming back to northanger abbey i can see a lot of the places where it's like referenced thematically or like um Mm. in uh in 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 more subtle ways or in in ways that you would notice yeah. um not just in the places that it's mentioned where i'm like oh this kind of reminds me of this part and even just isabella's character of yeah. like the way she's so dramatic because so, over the top. so melodramatic everything is heightened all the emotion everybody is like right at the top all the time with every emotion <laughs> yeah. emily um is always on the verge of tears or fainting or like um anger like it, everything is just yeah um uh, so even even the just the portrayal of Isabella's character is very much yeah. this this heightened like melodramatic. But because she's in a novel that is not that's like this realistic portrayal, it makes her character funny. It's like, <laughs> yeah, her character is hilarious. I and yet um, she's still realistic. You can still like, oh yes, I know this type of person. Oh I yeah, exactly. Like, Especially uh, like that age, like middle. Yes. school. 
and I know there was they would have been like in high school, but like yeah, the, she feels very middle school. Oh, Miss Andrews, not Miss Allison. Yeah, I love the part where she names all of the the books that Miss Andrews told her to read, and it's yeah. like the names are just amazing. Yes, um, and those Castle, are real books. Yeah, Castle of Wolfenbach, Mysterious Warnings, Necromancer of the Black Forest. Orphan of the Rhine and Horrid Mysteries. And then yeah. my favorite line is probably when Catherine says, um, but are they all horrid? Are you sure they are all horrid? And it's just like <laughs> amazing. I yeah. just love that. Um, I So one of the footnotes that I really liked in here was about um, the use of the word horrid and mm. how... You know, it kind of has two meanings um, where something is horrid, like it actually being bad, right? Of like, oh, it's that's dreadful and horrid. Yeah. Like, I don't like it. But then the way that they're using horrid is almost kind of like a slang way of using it because mm. they mean like the genre of horror, but it's also kind of using it in like oh, yeah. the way that we would use the word like sick. Like it's awesome. Yeah. Horrid, you know um and so i thought that was kind of cool that is interesting i like that and then later when we get the use of um i i read ahead a little bit um Mm. like chapter seven where there's a funny part where the book reference comes back and the the word horrid is used in the other context and i'm like wow Mm. you can just see jane austen like really playing with language and um all of this all of this kind of like stuff which is fun (laughs) yeah um do you have anything else you've been reading or listening to lately yes I um have been like binging audiobooks lately um which has been really fun um, and two of the books that I, um, read in the last two months specifically that I think are incredible as an audiobook, Cause I like, mm. I love audiobooks that are, um, that like enhance the book somehow yes. as an audiobook, or it's like a different experience as an audiobook than just reading it. Um, Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. It was so good. This book is like really hyped uh, uh-huh. right now. Um, and I think it lives up to the hype. It was really good. Ooh. And especially the audiobook, uh, the narration is just so well done. And then there's aspects of it that are like language that like the way that they do it as the audio. I was like, oh, this is such a cool experience being able to hear this you wouldn't have gotten it in the reading the text. Um, So that was really good. It's kind of like sci-fi. He, he's the author of, he wrote the Martian. Yes. um, Which I didn't see or read. um, Cause I was like, Oh, sci-fi. It's not really my thing. Um, But I enjoyed this book thoroughly. It's really good. And it's hard to like, tell you too much about it without giving too much away mm-hmm. but um it's it's one that kind of like grips you and it's like a mystery basically this guy um wakes up in a spaceship out in outer space he has no memory and the rest of his crew is dead and he 
has to figure out like what he's doing there, why, how to like survive and get back home and figure out what he's doing. And it turns out that he's there on some like mission to save earth, like some like critical mission, but he doesn't remember. So it's like this process and his memory is slowly coming back and then other things happen. And it's, um, it's very cool. And it was, really fun and also like really heartwarming i totally cried at the end okay i'll check it out i i i i also did not read or watch the uh the martian but and i have heard about this book um have you ever listened to the audiobook for lincoln and the bardo no by george saunders i heard that was amazing I read the book. I like George Saunders. Yeah, I read the book. I loved the novel. Um, For me, sometimes, like, I really love, like, I do listen to audiobooks, but sometimes I really need to see the words on the page and see how they um, uh, work. But I feel like I could, I could imagine. I mean, I've heard great things about that as an audiobook. Nice. Um, and then the other one that I listened to was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V. Schwab. Um, and this one is uh, kind of a romance history. It's basically uh, it goes back and forth in time. It's kind of like a time travel mm-hmm. romance type of thing. Like in the beginning, the the main character is cursed that she has eternal life, but nobody, anybody that she meets, nobody remembers her after like, um, yeah, uh, she's like, I want to be totally free basically. And so she makes a deal with a demon and, and then she gets like eternal life and she's like free, but she doesn't belong to anyone, which means whoever meets her is going to forget her. Um, and there's all these interesting things, so it goes back and forth in time and um and then you one day she walks into this bookstore and there's a guy there and he remembers her and that's like yeah and that's how it starts and then you're going back and forth and figuring it out and it was really really fun and um uh yeah and it was a good like love story um and i i i I thought the um the uh, it's told in different perspectives in, mm. in different places. And I, and I thought the narrator also did a really, um, it was a really good uh, narrator. Um, they did a great job with like the voices and the different perspectives. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I really liked that. I had a good one. Oh, I also read another one. I forgot about this. Um, that's like a newer book. Um, that's pretty popular is the remarkably bright creatures. Um, huh. That was fun. Um, it didn't like blow me away. Like everyone, you know, it's like one of these books that everyone's like, Oh my God, it was amazing. I was like, it was good. It was really fun. Um, but one of the characters um, it's told from different perspectives as well. And one of the characters is a giant Pacific octopus and oh, fun. He's, he's awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> That was fun too. Yeah. Those are those are my book. Um I um haven't heard of that one. I did just read about a new book coming out that's like about someone who gets trapped in a whale. Um but oh. maybe I'll look into that and tell you about it later. Um 
I did read quite a few books and now I'm forgetting like which ones I've talked about. Um, I'm in the middle of reading Trust by Hernan Diaz. Mm -hmm. And I just finished the book he wrote before then, which I totally remember the name and I'm not Googling right now. (laughs) Um, In the Distance, um, which came out in 2017. And I definitely recommend it. I should have read it long ago because my favorite, favorite, favorite bookstore ever like had it on display for a while and was like, this is the book you should read. And I, I kind of just like didn't read it for a while, but it's about this guy originally from Sweden and how he ends up in the old West. It's like, uh, from the, it's set in like the 1800s. Um, and I would recommend that it's, um, kind of a quiet ish book or yeah, it's, it's, um, I would definitely recommend it. I'm enjoying trust so far. Um, and then I also finally finished the matrix by Lauren Groff. Did I tell you about that? I don't think I, Mm-mm. so that is about, that's also set back. I feel like it's more set in like the 1300s and it's about this woman who's at court in England, but like, she's like Norman. So her, like she doesn't really speak English she speaks French mm-hmm. and she's in court and she is like the bastard half sister to the king or something and so they don't really know what to do with her they say she's too ugly to be married off so they make her nun and they ship her to the countryside to this nunnery and then mm-hmm. she like takes charge of the nunnery and over the rest of her life like builds it up mm-hmm um it seems kind of boring and like I don't want to give many spoilers because it is kind of like a slow boring book but I know someone who stopped partway through because they were like this is too boring and Mm -hmm. I just have to say um okay don't listen for like two seconds if you don't want spoilers but I'm gonna say (laughs) there's like a decent amount of nun sex that happens and like some crazy (laughs) stuff like that happens so like it gets um it gets kind of a little bit more interesting than you would think it would be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I liked that one. Um, I will say what I wanted to talk about was, um, I, so I've been, I think I, I mentioned this before. I've been on a, a, a kick where I've been watching like cult documentaries, which I don't yeah. normally do. And so this week I watched one called stolen youth, I think, which is about, the cult that was in Sarah Lawrence College. I listened to podcasts, uh, the podcast series they did about that. Okay. Yeah. Or did I, I watch the thing? I may have watched the show too. I yeah. I feel like the show just came out maybe kind of recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I, am, I am familiar, yes. Okay, I wasn't super familiar, just like a little bit. But I have to say that... Maybe because it happened so recently. And so they're like interviewing these kids who are now in their like probably like late 20s. Yeah. About being in the cult. I feel like I feel it's like the one thing that I've ever interacted with that has given me more empathy towards the first generation than anything Mm -hmm. else I've witnessed in my life. Mm. Because, you know, and maybe because it's happened so it happened recently, but still in the in the 
electronic internet age. So there's like photos and videos of like these kids when they yeah. joined and they just seem so young. Yeah. Uh, they were like barely 18 and this weird, like their friend's dad, like got them all wrapped up in this weird little group. And mm. you just see how young they were. Yeah. And then, and then, and, and even like, then they're like making their way out of the group and they're like in their mid twenties and, and, and late twenties and they're still so young. Like maybe yeah. it's just me getting old, but I was like, oh my God, like our parents, a lot of them joined when they first went away to college in the seventies. And like they joined when they were 17, 18, 19, 20. And that is just half my lifetime ago. And that's like, these guys, like they don't, they're not even like technically able to drink. Yeah. They're just like little babies who are in high school, like, and, yeah. and this is their first time away and so many, and I feel like you can see in this friend group, this guy like befriended like all the kids in this dorm and like mm-hmm. a few of them were just like, this guy is crazy, like, or this is really weird and like mm-hmm. just watching from the sidelines and a few of them got super sucked in and ended up being involved in all of this like really upsetting, abusive relationship with this man for you know for the better part of a decade and um and just realizing like like a lot of the kids who fell under his thrall were like they didn't come from good homes like you know they like like one you know one of their them their mom was like an alcoholic drug addict and like and she had never left texas before and then she went to like new york and 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 lived in this um this dorm and with this and then this guy kept coming around and then even staying over and it's like yeah she didn't she didn't have anybody and like even like yeah it was just really, it really made me realize, like, just how young our parents were when they got wrapped up in the cult. Because I just remember all of our parents in their 30s and 40s just being kind of shitty parents. <laughs> and like, like, yeah, go to Chungpyeong. Or, like, yeah, like, you're going to go to hell if you look at a boy. And, like, I just, like, honestly have struggled with, like, compassion for them. Even though I feel like I'm a decently compassionate person, mm-hmm. I feel like I've definitely struggled. Maybe it's just because I feel like I am um, so used to being parentified and, like, yeah. taking care of, like, taking care of everyone that it's, like, this, like, mindset that I've had to force myself into as I get older where I'm, like, fuck them because they really actually did they were like most first gen were like pretty abusive in different ways and i'm yeah. like they like i have to remember that and 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 like yeah and then and otherwise then having, i take on their that yeah, response having compassion for them feels like you're taking care of them again you're taking care yes. of their emotions and having to consider that like you did when you were a kid yeah yeah exactly thank you laurel and now yeah. i'm like which no, you shouldn't like, have okay. had to do as a kid. No. And now as an adult, you're like, yeah, I should do that, but I don't want to because I've yeah. done that my whole life. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, and I would just like I'm like okay, like I mean obviously there's room for people to be both like victim yeah. and abuser. Just honestly, like I see like there are people who are our age who grew up in the church and then they're turning around and having kids and like I would say raising them in a way that doesn't always feel like it's taking their kids well-being at heart and um so yeah so it is a sticky situation but just realizing like just seeing in my own eyes like how old these kids are you know there's no footage of our parents walking around and like starting to hang out at like a uh, at a church center and even if there was there would be like in the weirdest bell bottoms and craziest <laughs> hair I mean, so it seems so hard to access and and to think of yeah yeah it's true were, I'm just like these kids had no chance with this yeah. like especially with like with this guy who was like just kind of a sociopath or is or like a totally the guy who's at the charge of the cult had already been like examined by psychiatrists for as part of a what is it called a custody battle and the psychiatrists in court were like in my 20 years of experience like he is the least like i uh, like i've never met someone that like this where you know he's so manipulative it's like impossible to give him a straightforward psychiatric evaluation because he's just like, yeah, incredibly capable at manipulation. And I'm just like, yeah, those kids didn't have a chance. Like, I feel like our parents for the most part didn't have a chance. Like, it doesn't mean that like that absolves them of any thing they did to us or, you know, Mm -hmm. decades later, but like, It just, sometimes the, like, enormity of what we've been through, like, really hits me. It's Mm -hmm. like, I feel like it's been, now it's been, you know, over, it's been over a dozen years since I've, since Andrew and I have, like, actually really left the church. And I feel like now it feels more just, like, this weird quirk like as if I had like an extra thumb on my hand or something, you know, it's like this weird thing that sometimes makes me feel different, but it's like, I've like kind of incorporated it to my everyday life and I'm okay talking about it with outsiders and I don't call them outsiders all the time. (laughs) I have outside friends and uh, sometimes I do call them outside friends to their faces just for a laugh. But yeah, I feel like I'm able to laugh about it a lot. And then, yeah, but then it, I feel like I've just had a few different conversations in the past few weeks with people where I realized just like how much hurt there is in a lot of our lives or like how we're still struggling. Like a lot of us are still struggling in different ways and we're trying so hard. Um, yeah. Uh, you know what sucks? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah, having that understanding and like, looking at your parents and being like, oh my God, they're victims too. Yeah. And like feeling that sense of grief, which is different than your own sense of grief. Like it's this whole, it's another thing that you're carrying that your parents are not. (laughs) It's another, (laughs) they're not experiencing that. 
Yeah. If, you know, I mean, if they're yeah. not reflecting no. on that, if they're not deconstructing, they're not experiencing that level. It's another. Th- <laughs> it's another thing. It's another thing. You know, I did have one conversation one time with one first gen where she was like, yeah, I just am realizing that like all of us came from some kind of trauma when we joined the church. And like, I was just yeah. like, my mind was blown. I was like, you're capable of that introspection. That is rad. Like I felt like, I felt like just like a lightning in my body. just being like, okay, like, yeah, like someone gets it. Like, it's not just, yeah, but it is. uh, Listening to you talk about the documentary. I'm, positive that I did watch it I remember watching it now because like the scenes are coming back to my mind and yes it was incredibly hard to watch a lot of that footage um because there's actual footage of kids being the abuse yeah or like them talking to the camera and you can clearly see that they're saying things that they wouldn't normally say or like see the manipulation happening you can see the coercion and it's just so yeah it's really hard to watch um and i think overall that they did a really good job with that documentary i remember hearing a podcast about it um Uh. about the people who were making it and like at least one of the people who was uh you know producing or like making it was actually a survivor himself of that same group so they talked a lot about how they wanted to make this only if they could do it in the right way and they wanted to tell their they weren't going to put they were you know the people who were on camera they wanted them to tell their own stories they weren't going to like you know they they said there were other people um that we didn't put on camera because they weren't ready to tell their own stories and we're not going to speak for them and this is you know they were really really intentional about a lot of things and about consent and about um yeah, just being sensitive to even of the people who were still in, who yeah. hadn't, you know, who in the process of making the documentary were like having to deal with this stuff. And they were very, yeah, um, yeah it was, I thought it was done really well. And I did too. I yeah. that podcast episode where I, yeah, let me know if you viewed it was really interesting because he was talking about the behind the scenes stuff. And I was like really impressed because, yeah, yeah a lot of cult documentaries are like, you can tell what at least we can. If you're a survivor, yeah. you can tell the difference between when a survivor or somebody is involved with the project mm-hmm. exactly and, intimately and when they're not, and, and the way that the, the way that it's advertised, the way that it's um, presented, like, is this just entertainment? Is this just drama yeah. porn? Um, or yes. is this really reflective and and a healing experience for those survivors and, and giving them a voice yeah. and exploiting their experience for the sake of entertainment and people's fascination and stuff? So it was that makes so much sense because also you can see as the episode like normally I feel like these cult documentaries it's like they just like drop into this little town or whatever and they like interview a bunch of people about stuff that happened like 30 years earlier or and you don't have this like dynamic situation where 
Um, like this happened pretty recently and some people are still kind of getting out and, and the situation is changing as they're filming. And I thought that was really interesting where like people, like people's opinions and relationships and everything are changing Mm -hmm. in this way that feels like extremely authentic. And it felt like the people doing the documentary were there to witness it, but they weren't they were like leaving as little footprint as possible. You know, they weren't yeah. trying to take over the situation yeah. or yeah. Or like make something. We're going to edit uh, this in a way to craft our own narrative yeah. and make it, yeah. Make it as heightened as possible for the view. Yeah. 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 Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. Highly recommend. And also, yeah, I, yeah. I very begrudgingly feel like, okay. Yeah, you guys didn't have it easy, um, first gen. Although it really sucks that, yeah, what what ended up happening with them, right? Um, yeah, because a lot. I mean, there are pictures and things and stuff, like all kinds of stuff. But everything that you see is it's always presented in this very. it's like it was great. Remember this? Oh, yeah. we were so happy! Like it's the in the love bombing veneers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also just think like when I see like the big pictures of the crowds in the seventies and eighties, I'm like, how many of those people like joined actually it for? Like, yeah, yeah, and they were there for a few months, and they were like, actually, like something is off, and like I'm gonna just go and like this will be like like you know, an embarrassing story I tell my partner in 15 years, right, you know, like, right. like, yeah, like how many people just like went to a weekend workshop and like, maybe there's some pictures of them, but like, they didn't like come back, you know, they were just going because a friend of theirs from high school told them about it and they're not like, right. Yeah. Or they like came to like, yeah, just a couple lectures. Yeah. And those like the people who stayed and like what happened to them and, uh, Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad. I love how we could make like an hour and a half podcast about (laughs) five pages of two girls just walking circles in a room together. And reading their novels. Don't forget the novels. No. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This podcast is produced and edited by me, Laurel Nakai. I also do the music. Akina Cox does the amazing artwork and is also my wonderful co-host. You can get in touch with us at Night at gmail.com. You can also find me on TikTok at JaneColtPod. And um, technically, we still have a Twitter, but it's weird there. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Anyway, Mia's telling us to shut the fuck up. I know. The truck is there. It's okay. Is it, though? Rude. Rude. Have you seen the cartoon that's, like, of the dog barking at the mailman? And he's like, every day this guy comes, every day I bark at him, and every day he doesn't murder my family. I've done my job right. (laughs)